Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. which really is, and I was told by Gabe, is this, this challenge to ask the question, how can we become the neighbors that our neighbors would want to live next to? It's quite a big ask, actually. I don't know about you. I've been on some neighborhood Facebook groups. They are rough places. Eh? They are. I only lasted three days on the one, and I think it was about three hours on the other one. So they're rough places. But I realize we have some work to do on these issues of our neighborly love and what God is calling us to. And last week, just to touch, we spoke about this, this call to a personal ministry. It's not just, well, I'm involved in a church that's involved in South Fire. Or I'm involved in a church that loves people. Or I, I belong to a, a church or a community that does things. Actually, God is calling us to have personal moments of impact. Personal moments of, of, of encountering people who, and, and walking them through situations like the first time they pray a salvation prayer to Jesus. I can tell you moments with my best friends. One of them played lock for the All Blacks. He's six foot six, and at two o'clock in the morning, I had the incredible privilege after, after 15 years of friendship in, in leading him in the Lord's Prayer. It was the most amazing moment. In, in a couple of weeks' time, I have the incredible privilege of traveling with Rory Dyer to Qatar, to a church that has a few unbelievably wealthy men and women and lots and lots of migrant laborers who live in containers. And this church comes together, a mixed mash of languages and, and, and all these things come together in a church. But the reason I tell you that story is up the road, there's a man named Nick Glenn who was my best man at my wedding. And I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord as well. And, and there's got to be a desire inside of us to have our own story. Wally would continuously say, Mark, do the people know how to share the gospel in 60 seconds? It's an important thing. It's an important thing. And where that journey starts is the 15 years, the 10 years before of love and grace as God calls us to these stories. But we've all got neighbor stories. I don't know about you, but I've got some neighbor stories. And they're not just the TV show Neighbors. You know that one. Neighbors, everybody. Yeah, that song. And... um, but actually, when people tell their neighbor stories, mostly they're not great. <laughs> I can see. I was like, good point. We agree with that point. We, we agree. It's like the neighbor whose kid shouts over the wall all the time. Yes, those are my kids. And um, the neighbor who is convinced that you steal their fruit off their tree, but you don't. Anyone had that neighbor? Just saying. Or the neighbor who, who walks their dog in the middle of the night so you can't catch them letting their dog release itself on your lawn. I don't know if that happens to you. It's just happened. Scenarios, potential. And, um, but God calls us into a story of love our neighbor. And then he says, I'm not just going to leave it there. I'm going to give you Acts 1 verse 8 and tell you that there is power for this journey to be a witness. In Jerusalem, your neighbor. In Judea, slightly beyond, slightly different culture, slightly different demographics, slightly different influence. Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, but there is power for each of these. And sometimes I think we only access the power for the ends of the earth, and we forget that there is power to love our neighbor. And this morning, I want to make a point right up front, because I was chatting to someone, and and they were giving me three great reasons why they're not good at it. I'm not good in that situation. (laughs) 
I want to I want to challenge. I want to call people to what Jesus called them. And I want to tell us as a church why I love thy neighborhood or love thy neighbor series is because actually this is a command. Jesus said is pretty important. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. He says they, they come to him and say, well, what's the most important? And, they, and it says there's a lawyer in the mix, and the lawyer's trying to get us. All the lawyers, they're always trying to look for the angle there. He says, actually, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And Jesus, he adds, in all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, love the Lord your God. And love thy neighbor as thyself. Love your neighbor as yourself. A command. Not an option that comes with the Christian package. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag that one on, but I'm not going to tag this one on. And you know, that command is not just also a, a, a suggestion. It's, it's a, what's the term? I forget what it's called, but it's, it's, it's not a negative command. It's a positive command, meaning it's not enough to not hate your neighbor. Make sense? You can't just, I don't hate him. I mean, I never talked to him, but I don't hate him. I mean, he supports the bluebells, but I really don't hate him. The command is to love, to extend love, and not just love of a low standard, love that you would extend to yourself. Story that some of you have heard if you've been around a while, but I'm still fascinated by it. Uh, 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 Years ago, there was a man who loved his neighbor, but his neighbor was a little bit grumpy and definitely didn't love the church. And what happened, like has hit our city now, there's a drought. So this man who loves his neighbor realizes, I've got a borehole, and offers to water his neighbor's garden, to which the neighbor says, I don't want anything from you. Anyone know the story? Anyway, under the cover of darkness, this man who loves his neighbor starts watering the part of the garden he can reach, which is only about half the garden. So that half gets green. While the other half dies. And this guy's thinking, what's going on here? And one night, Keith Hickman, who was the grumpy neighbor and definitely didn't want anything to do with church, finds Wally Gersmeyer, his neighbor who loves neighbors, spraying the garden at night and watering his garden for him. Over that same wall, Keith gave his life to Jesus. Now that man, on a, on a Wednesday night, has people in his home, and he loves the socks of him. And he likes to put up a front, but actually he's got the softest heart I know. But where did it start? It started with water being spread over a wall. I don't know what this looks like to you, but I want to come this morning, and, and I realize sometimes that we are very good at telling people what the commands are, obey the commands. We're very good at telling people what the commands are. We're not always good at helping. Well, how do you do it? Is that you? Some, I said, again, I'm sitting with a guy who said, well, I can't do that. I didn't grow up enjoying people. So, I, I, well, I can help you. And I want to just present a, a little bit of a, a thought this morning at loving our neighbor as ourselves and a, a suggestion as to when I look at Jesus, a helpful little thing that could help us. But I want to just highlight one point, and I think we need to keep highlighting it, is we live in a world full of lonely people. We're very, very aware of, of financial poverty, it's easily recorded, it's easily, the, the statistics are very much available to us, but relational poverty, not so much. I, I hate to say it, but it's in the church too. 
just relational poverty, just no one to sit with, no one to engage with, and not even realizing that there's actually a value to that, there's a desire, there's a need, because I've never experienced it, so I don't have an appetite for it. You know, statistically, the most lonely people live in our biggest cities in the world. Millions and millions of people. Tokyo now, all over the place, have cuddle places. I forget the name of the place. They are called rent-a-cuddle. There are franchises all over Tokyo. You go and you pay someone to cuddle with you because you haven't felt the touch of another person for so long. 58% of people in Stockholm live alone. 58% of people live on their own. It's quite a radical statistic. When we start understanding, we realize we live in a world where people are relationally impoverished. And there's reasons for this. And one of the guys promotes, he says, the breakdown of families. I think we get that. Increased mobility. I love living in this area, but one of the terms someone used, a pastor from another area who was from, he said, it's kind of the area where no one really belongs. He said, explain that to me. He said, well, most people have moved here. And he's right. Because 10 years ago, there were no houses going that way. And most people that I meet, I very seldom meet people who went to school in Milneton or Tableview or have done life here for a long time. So most people, they don't have these deep, deep roots. You go to Durban, it's like the roots are 17 generations long. You know, they're like, we well, can't leave Durbs. Generations. And, and, and it's like this many generations in this school and this. And so people know you. And there's a, there is a benefit to those roots. But in our area and in the world, people are moving and being relocated so quickly and easily that what you find is we do relations on a very shallow level and we get very good at that. I'm going to move through a little bit quicker. The obvious one is heavier workloads. People are working longer hours with less free time, with less energy to spend. They're spending more time in a car. These are real things. And here's the crazy one, the rise of social media. The very thing that's supposedly putting us in contact with more people is the very thing that's putting us out of real contact with people. We spend hours on social media and we don't pick up a phone to say, how are you doing? And I think as we look at this, we've got to be challenged by this and we've got to look at Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus. This is where it means to behold. When I behold Jesus, this is not a strategy of the church. Someone said, "Why you, uh, this is like a growth strategy of the church. It's not. I just want people to see Jesus for who he is and how he lived his life and be captivated by that so they want to live like that. And so I have a very simple thing that if you've watched rugby, so excuse me for using a rugby term, but even if you don't, you'll know. Strategy to help us because it helps me. And it goes like this. Touch, pause, engage. Do we need an example? Do, do we need? Ferdy, come up here, Ferdy. I think this, has, this demands an example. Come. Okay, and Edwin, come up here, Ferdy. Just make it, because, I mean, if you don't know rugby, there's a thing called a scrum. And they generally put the big guys in the front. But those guys sometimes need a little bit of help in the journey. So the referees got together and said, how do we help these guys? If you're a prop or a, or, or a hooker, just relax. I didn't ever play in the forwards, ever. I wouldn't stick my head in there. And the places those guys have to go is very scary. And, um, but the refs came up with a strategy. What they're going to do, they're going to get guys together. And can we just line up like you are, the Lucid and Tatev? Over here, over here. Don't hurt him, Ferdy, please. And, um, and, and so what they do is they keep them apart, don't? Because what these oaks used to do, they just throw each other at, at themselves at each other and tons of force. So the ref goes, okay, 
touch. So they just, they're feeling out. They just go easy for her, just breathe. And, uh, and, and then pause, and they have to hold it there for a second. I'm just doing this for fun, really. Engage. There we go. And, and yes, that was not great, but that's fun. Okay. <laughs> but it's, so you got the picture. It's that crazy thing when men decide to, and ladies these days, decide to stick their heads next to each other and push, touch, pause, engage. And I want to say, when I look at Jesus, I think Jesus had a little bit of a touch, pause, engage strategy. So stick with me. You probably won't find it in the Bible that easily, so I'm going to help you. And um, it's in there, Matthew 8. I'd love to look, and there's the story, and I'm captivated, and it's just this, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. It says, verse 1, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. See, we're not too afraid with leprosy in our culture. It's not something we're aware of. It's not something we really even know. We read in the Bible quite often, but it's like, yeah, so it's like a disease that we have diseases. I think when you, I don't know if you've ever gone and looked at what leprosy is. I, I couldn't actually put pictures up of leprosy today. Leprosy is a 10-year death, but it's not like you're going to die in 10 years' time. The life expectancy was 10 years. It is a 10-year journey of slowly falling apart, muscle aches and pains all day, every day, your body changing, your cheekbones swelling up so your face doesn't even look human, your skin becomes scaly so that you look almost non-human. And, in, and there were, it was such a thing in their day, there were religious laws about where they could or couldn't go, the fact they had to ring a bell, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. It's a pretty radical thing to have. This man should not even have been in this crowd. And people with leprosy, it was unbelievably contagious. Unbelievably contagious. They weren't allowed in crowds. They had to stay outside, live in colonies of lepers and wait to die, essentially. And we encounter a story because, remember, we worship a king who turns everything upside down. Jesus wasn't controlled by man's laws to protect ourselves and our smallness. When Jesus looks at a leper, he sees a man. He doesn't see someone disfigured. He doesn't see someone with, with skin that's kind of falling off. The, the, one of the marks of leprosy was a bad, bad stench. All day, every day, that you could never get rid of. To this man, my Savior, in the midst of a judging crowd, he would have said, he shouldn't even be here. He touches him. He reaches out his hand to the greatest sickness of this day touches him, and heals him. You want to know where to start? By loving your neighbor. Just, and, 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 and I'm using the term touch now broader. It's not just a physical touch. Sometimes it's just a touch of their world. And, and I've had some interesting conversations this week as I touched on, on um, tattoos and smoke. I'm not advocating any of those things. I'm just telling us about our prejudice that's real. And what stops us from getting close enough to touch. If you want to love your neighbor, would you be prepared to touch the untouchables of our world? Let's be honest. Sometimes there, there, there are overwhelming situations. 
I've told the story many times before. Got called on a Monday morning. I was tired. I was grumpy. I'd preach a couple of times on that Sunday. It was 8 o'clock, and I got a call. Will you come? And something in me said, I've got to go. Normally, I, I might not. And I walk in, and there is a pimp. There's a prostitute. There's a lady who's a stripper off her head on drugs. And I'm going, God, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. I've got no idea what I'm doing. But here's what we realize. When we behold, we become. Which means that same power of Acts 1 verse 8. The power to be a witness, just to love, just to share. That same power of Jesus reaching and being said, lepers today look very different to a leprosy. That disease might be extinct, but the nature of it isn't. There are people who feel like everywhere they go, people are aware of their stench because of their past. It doesn't matter how many layers of perfume they put on. And how many failures they've had. They feel excommunicated. They feel like actually, why does the Bible say, love thy neighbor as you love yourself? Because most people don't love themselves. The person they struggle most with in life is themselves. And so anger manifests because actually inside is an inability to love self. And so why does it say love as yourself? Because that's the portion it requires to love someone so they behold Jesus. And I know this is strong, and I know it's radical, but this is the gospel. If it's not this, it's something less than the gospel. If it's not this, we aren't forced to tap into the power of Acts 1 verse 8 that Jesus promised. We aren't forced to throw ourselves into the grace of Jesus and say, Jesus, deal with my smallness, deal with my prejudice. Why? It's because I want to have a story that beholds Jesus. Some of you are looking at me a little bit scared. Calm down, Mark. I I can't. People. Not buildings. People. Some of them right now sitting in prisons. People. In the schools that our kids go to. People. For God so loved the world. People. And it's got to captivate us again. And maybe leprosy is the extreme, but I think sometimes we've got to be challenged. Let me confess to you a deep, deep confession. I'm a cleanliness guy. My wife knows I like little bottles of hand sanitizer, sanitizer all over the house. I'm just confessing to you. And then I become a pastor in a church where there's like 1,300 people in a meeting from every demographic in the world. And, and my mom has a, a special ministry. She ministers to the homeless people. That's her ministry. Honestly, she's amazing. But somehow, she thought that meant that my number needs to be given to every homeless person in Durban as their personal pastor. And to be honest, I was frustrated with that. I struggled with it. For some time. There was a guy named Peter. He's passed away now. He used to come to church because he would get beaten up every week. And we'd give him clothes. They'd get stolen every week. And he'd come to church and he'd sit there and he would stink. But if God doesn't use people, and I don't find myself beholding God, you know what remains is prejudice. And the gospel doesn't rip apart. 
and Joshua pitches up, and Joshua sells newspapers in Durban and has done for 20 years, and he's having an hour up, uh, up in Durban, and on 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, I get a phone call. Who is it? No, it's Joshua. Hello, Josh. Because it's about people. So anyway, that's touch. Whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual. You're saying, Mark, how do I do this love thy neighbor stuff? Maybe just touch them. Maybe you see people have moved into the neighborhood. Take them a box of biscuits. You want to know Mr. Gersmeyer's strategy for planning a church? Confession time. He made friends with real estate agents and looked for sold signs. And then he was the first person to become their best friend. That's how this church started. They had no friends. He had no friends in Cape Town. Then he would say to him, what night do you want to come to my house? He said, we have a thing called life group. They say, ah, oh, it doesn't work. He said, no, what night? Eventually, he's having life group every night of the week so that people could come. So that's touch. You want a strategy? Just what I see in Jesus, touch. What about pause? What does that mean? See, Jesus is walking, and, and the, the crucifixion happens, and he comes back, but no one knows he's come back, so he's walking on this road to Emmaus. And he encounters two men, and these men are, t- are, they are grumpy. They, they, they're nodding their head. They're concerned because Jesus was supposed to be everything to them, and now Jesus is crucified. So they're walking on this road, and they're upset. And it says that as they talked, uh, it says they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing. He said, Why are you discussing to, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood with faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? Why am I struggling to read today? Sorry. I'm not 40 yet. We're going to keep reading this. <laughs> One or two of my mates are saying, you need to make the font bigger. I'm fighting that. But um, asking Jerusalem, who does not know these things that happened in these days? And he says, what things? I don't know about what you see in that whole encounter, but I see Jesus who could have gone, ta-da! I'm the guy! Why are you so sad? What does Jesus do? See, so often we, we just jump to the end and we read the beginning. It's like those words. If you just get the first letter and the last letter, you make up the word. But we often get it wrong. You know what he does? He takes time and asks them a question that he knows the answer to. When last did you just take that little bit extra time and ask the question you know you know the answer to because actually that person just needs you to ask them a question? Because that's what Jesus does. He knows the answer. He knows why they're sad. He knows their challenges. And, and they say, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? And he plays dumb. He says, what things? Now, I'm not advocating lying or playing dumb. But I look at Jesus, and I see a man who paused for a moment. You want to have a strategy to love your neighbor? What about? Ask questions. I, I have had in the past, and I'm on a sanctification journey towards it being in the past, of asking questions not to actually hear the answer, but to strategize my response. And I think we are conditioned like that. We generally ask questions because we're already planning our comeback to their answer. It's only me. This is a very sanctified church. But I think there's got to be, I love the Zulu culture, Sawabona. 
I see you. And we, in, in, from a different background or, 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 or different environment, we'll use this term Africa time, until I got a best friend who was African. And he taught me the reality that when I am in front of him, I am the most important person in front of him. And that means he'll be late for the next act because right now I am in front of him. And you know what the challenge of, of a staff like a Tyler and Edwin, some of these guys in a church on a Sunday, there are a couple hundred people. Sometimes you can get in the habit of thinking of your next meeting before you even finish this meeting. And one day I'm in a meeting with someone who's in a pretty serious situation. And I just do this one too many times. And he says to me, are you in a rush? And I felt my world crumble because I realized that actually I was thinking about the next thing. And I got to go back into the presence of God. I got to behold again and say, God, change something of my value system. I'm not saying advocating being late for meetings. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm advocating a beholding of Jesus who, though he knew the answer, asked a question and listened and asked another question. You want a strategy to love your neighbor? Ask questions. How are your kids? How's your husband? How is it your grass is so green? Don't ask that question right now. <laughs> you might force them to lie. And um, the last one is engage. And we're going to finish with this. But to me, engage is love people with time. Love them with time. Jesus is walking, and, and I'm not going to read the scripture, but it's Luke 19. All these scriptures are Luke 19. And he's walking, and there's this little dude, Zacchaeus, who can't see Jesus, but he's a bad man. He steals money from people. He's a tax collector. His own people would have gone, we don't like that guy. What does Jesus, the king of kings, walk on the earth do? He calls him down from a tree. says, you, Zacchaeus, come down. Come down. I'm coming to your house to stay. Jesus got three and a half years. To turn the world upside down. Three and a half years. That's like just over 1,100 days. He takes one of those and says, I'm coming to your house even though you don't deserve it. And actually the people I'm trying to reach, most of them don't like you. And it's probably not going to be the popular call. But I'm going to take time, Zacchaeus, and I'm going to come to your house. And we're going to talk. And you're going to invite other people around. Why? Because the gospel Dictates my calendar too. One of my friends here challenged me and he said, an intentional life demands an intentional calendar. If you threw the lens over your calendar of love thy neighbor, would you find anything there? And if you don't, right now, I would ask you to forget my preach, but to behold Jesus, who took time out of his busy world call Zacchaeus out of a tree and go to his house and say, God, something's got to change. He's calling us to live intentional life. I honestly believe that every person who's put in front of us is, is something of a potential assignment God puts up, not a project. I get to love every person who's in front of me. And I'm learning this. And can I be brutally honest? Wally Gerstmeyer fundamentally challenged and shaped me in this. I've never been so challenged by a man's lifestyle, ever. And you're going to hear that name a lot. They're doing really, really well. But actually, God's calling us to keep honoring what he's got. God has put that in this house through a gift of William Shirley at Gersma, and we're going to keep asking God to grow our hearts and go beyond and further.
But Jesus is on a mission, and you know what? That mission affects eternity. And I wanted to give you something to say. We don't just, okay, we know we have to love the lost. We know those far from God. We know that, Mark. We got that. We know we've got to love our neighbor who might be grumpy. We know we got that. How do I do it? Because I'm not like Wally. I've literally seen Wally make some of the most audacious statements you've ever heard to people. Uh, I, he, he, he went into a house he thought was for sale and found out that one of the people had just committed suicide in the house. And so they were mourning. And he walked in and said, what's happening? He said, no, they've committed suicide. He says, that's why I'm here. He said, what do you mean? You came here to look at the house. No, no, I'm a pastor. I can help you. All those people were in church on Sunday. Baptized the following week. I, I want that in my life. There are many things that would excite me, but that excites me more than anything. I don't know about you. I want to be keep beholding the King of Kings. So touch, pause, and gaze. It's cheek, cheesy. And someone's going to ask you tomorrow, what did your pastor preach on? And say, touch, pause, and gauge. But touch, some people haven't been touched. The last time they were touched, it was abuse. Maybe just a hug from a father who wants nothing sexual but just to love could change someone's world forever. Maybe just reaching out and touching someone's world. What about pause? Learn to ask questions, to listen and not necessarily provide the answers. And lastly, to engage. Are you prepared? Your precious time to maybe give it away to someone who you can't do the value equation, but actually Jesus sees value, like a Zacchaeus or a leper. And if we can get this, we don't need church growth strategies and we don't need those things because we've got Jesus. And we behold him and he allows us to get on a personal journey. And you know what my greatest desire is out of this? is that some people in this community who've never had the privilege of leading friends, family, or work colleagues to Jesus, or just loving them, would take up that mantle and say, actually, I can do that. And I want to tell you, you can. And it's all because of him. Can we pray? Jesus, we, we think of that song, Behold, the Lamb of God, the Son, and all I want to be is a man who keeps his eyes on you. I want to give you undivided attention in an attention-crazy world with thousands of images every day. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, help us. Enable us, equip us, give us that power of Acts 1 verse 8 to walk this journey well. Thank you for the incredible picture of an 18-year-old young lady saying, I want to do something for Jesus, moving, leaving the safety of home and moving to an area she's never lived in, sitting next to a Nigerian man who studied political science, who's fallen in love with Jesus. I pray that picture would explode more and more in our hearts because that is your people on the move. That is a people who behold the living God. Not a people doing meetings, but a people captivated by a glorious Savior. I thank you for every person here today. From the top, up at the balcony, to the bottom, to the parent, the people serving in life kids, to the moms in the moms room, I pray, fill us with power so we can be your witnesses. 
to touch, pause, and engage a broken and lonely world. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.